Help us stir your heart. And today's message is not about Asia, and it's really not about unleashed people groups, but it is about people out there and people sitting next to us who are hurting and who are lost, who need some light in a very, very dark world. Last week we spoke about first responders, no greater love. And, and we mentioned because it was 9-11, we talked about how the first responders go in where others run out. And how Jesus said, you know, just like the Father loves me, I love you. You need to remain, you need to live in this love. And, and then he goes, you know, if you, if you love me, you'll keep those commandments. That's how you'll know that. You'll remain in my love, you know, if you, if you keep these commandments. And then he said, you know, no greater love has, has a man than this, than a man laid down his life. For his friends. And how incredible that is. And, and when you start understanding that no greater love, you start understanding the millions that are lost. The Jesus was 8 million, 8.2 million in Illinois who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. The ones in Harrisburg, who I remind you, are listed somehow, some way in one of the lost pockets. In southern Illinois is our town called Harrisburg. It's incredible. It's incredible. You know, sometimes we we don't really understand. We we get the idea about this lost thing and about hurting people, about the sea of lostness. And, and some people go, yay, I get it. I get it. That's right. That's what we need to do. And I mean, when I say do, I mean go to Africa. I mean go to Asia. But I mean go across the street. I mean, go across the street. And some people are totally oblivious to it. And like they don't even see it at all. But a whole chunk of us are in the middle. And we kind of go like this. You know, I know I ought to, ought to give, ought to go, ought to do, ought to talk, ought to live. But somehow it doesn't happen. And I think today's topic might be at least partially the answer. The, the problem lies in, an, in an, an animal that doesn't exist. You know, I, I got a wild hair. I said, I wonder if I typed in on Google animals that don't exist. What will I come up with? And you could probably guess the number one animal that doesn't exist. It has a horn sticking out of its head and it is unicorn. Give us that picture, please. Maybe. Possibly. Is it going to happen right there? we go. There's Mr. Unicorn. All right. So that's number one animal, you know. And then perhaps y'all have seen another one. Okay. Something called a jackalope. Anybody heard of a jackalope before? Yeah. yeah guess what? They really don't exist. All right. And then I got some really strange ones. We got one like this. The gator bird. They get a very strange animal that lives in a very strange place. Or perhaps we have, yeah, the shark gull. That's what you get when you cross a shark and a seagull, you get the shark gull. But this last one, all of you guys have heard of, it's very common, and of course it is the bird dog. <laughs> the bird dog. Now, now, obviously, those things do not exist. They, they are not real and neither is this thing, this problem, this, this animal that keeps us from being what God wants us to be. And it's called 
partial obedience. It's called lemons. See, somewhere we bought a lie. We, we bought this lie, and this lie says this, that there's such a thing as partial truth. That as long as something has a segment, a piece of truth in it, then it becomes truth. And that is so not true. I mean, you mark it down. There is truth, and there is a lie, and the two do not mix. We also have bought into the story, the world, that somehow that there's a thing called partial obedience. That as long as we do a certain amount of obedience, then it's called obedience. But I need to tell you that any amount of disobedience makes obedience disobedience. That's just the way it is. Let me show you with the scale. Barbara Miller was convinced this is an orange, but it's not. It's, it's a... It's a uh, Little basketball I stole from your closet, actually. Okay, but but you know, no matter what you take and add to this side, if this represents obedience, no matter what you add over here, it tips the scale. You know, I've got a little thing of pudding, something that's sweet, you know, and seemingly innocent, but as soon as you put it on the scale, it takes control, and obedience no longer is there. It's disobedience, or or maybe perhaps you've got some kind of a tool. This is, by the way, when you guys set chairs, I've got your sock. Okay? But anyway, as soon as you put that on there, then guess what? Yeah, you're right. It loses out again. Um, then you got something very obviously. I stole Miss Rue's bottle of Cairo syrup out, out of the thing. Hands down. As soon as you add something to this side of the scale, obedience ceases. Something as small as a rock. Obedience ceases. Now that's huge. Take the same thought and apply limits. If this represents limitless... As soon as you add a limit, you're no longer living a limitless life in Jesus Christ. You're no longer, as soon as you add limits to your ministry, you're no longer living a limitless ministry life. So what we want to do today, we want to look at Luke chapter 10, perhaps the most famous story in the New Testament, one that so many people knew that tells a story about limits, about lemons, about logic and about limitless living. And of course, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 25 through 37. The Bible says, Just then, in a teaching situation, just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Now, this is such a great question. If you've never asked that question, you really need to. Because, you know, i, I got a newsflash for you. No one gets out alive. Somewhere, some out there, and we won't get into the rapture thing because a lot of y'all don't understand rapture, but, but if Jesus comes, okay. But, but, but the bottom line is, you don't get out of this earth. There's a 100% death rate. The only question is how old we are when that happens. How old are we when that occurs? So you ought to kind of know, and even though those hardened atheists, you know, it's amazing, they get down toward the deathbed thing, and they start saying, oh God! And we're going, excuse me, I thought you didn't believe in it. Because we realize, as it faces us, that there's a thing called death. So it's a great question, especially when asked in authenticity. Especially when you ask that question sincerely wanting. And we can tell from this guy, because the Bible says he's an expert to law, keep that in mind, but he wants to test Jesus. So he says, teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, at minimum, this is it's, it's, it's academics. It's, it's, it's the guy saying, teacher, I have a question about this. 
And he wants to learn something in a classroom setting. At worst, he's going to trap Jesus. And he already asked the question, what? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of says, you know, he says, well, okay. All right, well, well what's in the law? You're an, you're an expert in the law. What does the law say? So how do you read that? That's what he says. Well, he answered, he said, you should, um, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. Now, notice that three-letter word there. It's a laundry detergent, but it's also all-inclusive. It is the word, oh, oh. It is, it is limitless. It is not partial obedience. It is full obedience. It is limitless living. You are to love God. Watch, watch. You are to love God without limits. Okay? Without limits. And then you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I know in this crazy world we've got today, there may be some argument where, you know, people don't love themselves. But, you know, bottom line is we love ourselves, and we love ourselves out of limits. We'll do whatever it takes to take care of number one. We're kind of taught that. And Jesus said, okay, you've got it right. Go ahead. Go do that. Go do that. And I think his answer was casual like that because he knew he was being tested. The guy wasn't sincerely asking. So he said, okay, well, that's what the law says. You go ahead and do that. And that leads us into the guy's question. So he says, willing to justify, willing to justify himself. He says, so who's my neighbor? Willing to justify himself. And you know, this is real common today, especially in the church. That's where the idea of partial obedience comes in. Okay, how, how far do I have to go? Justifying ourselves. Excusing ourselves. Setting limits for ourselves. Exactly how far do I have to go before I get credit for obedience? Exactly how far do I have to go so I get credit for limitless living? How far do I have to go? Who's in your neighborhood? You know, Mr. Rogers had a neighborhood. Who was in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood? And who is in your neighborhood? So he says, okay, Jesus, I, I get your teaching here. I need to get what God's Word says, even though it says love all of all of all of all, and my neighbor's myself. I just need to know time out, because that's pretty, that's pretty dogmatic. Who exactly is my neighbor? Guys, we wrestle with this. I hear it all the time. Dwayne, I know what God's Word says, but I know it's right, but you don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what she's done. You don't know what he's done. You don't know, you don't know, but, 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 but. And I'm sure Jesus is going to go and say, oh, of course, you know, I didn't even think about that. Of course, neighbor, neighbor means the people that you get along really well with. Neighbor is the people who never offend you. Neighbors are people who cost you nothing. Neighbors make it easy. Of course, I, I misunderstood the question. No. He tells a story that is totally incredible. Here's what he says. Jesus took up the question. Now I'm in verse number 30. Jesus took up the question and said, 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now let's pause there because, and I know you've heard this story before because again, it's probably the most famous one in the Bible and the New Testament. But let me go explain a couple things because it's really important. Okay? So, so a man, and, and like 99.9999%, okay, the man is a Jew. And he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay? Now, that's about 17 miles. It falls from, it falls in altitude about 3,300 feet, about 3,000 feet. It falls in altitude. And it's a very curvy and rocky road. Now, here's a little tidbit of information that makes it even more significant. Jericho, now this is not, the Lord told Joshua to go to Jericho and to march seven times around. Wrong Jericho. That one was destroyed, if you remember right. This is the New Testament Jericho. It's a town that was established in the New Testament. It's a town that, that's there now. And Jericho was a place when leaders would build their palaces. Herod had built his summer palace there. Many wealthy people went to Jericho kind of like for vacation. So this road, not only is it very dangerous, Joe, okay, not only is it dropping in, in altitude, not only is it rocky and craggy, it's a perfect place for robbers. And if you're going to rob somebody, let me make a suggestion. Make sure they have some money. And it was known that wealthy politicians, rulers, went this path. So it was a place for robbers to hang out. So this man is making his journey. Yeah, you could, you know, we don't know really why, but let's say he's going to Jericho on vacation. He's got a boatload of cash, okay? He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the Bible says that, that, a, that he fell into a band of robbers, okay? They stripped him down, they beat him up, and then fled, leaving him half dead. So these robbers jump out and they whoop up on him, you know, and, and all that. He's laying there and just barely alive. Okay, and then the Bible says this. Jesus telling the story. Remember, it's a story. He's got to make it up as he goes. Okay, a priest. A priest happened to be going down that road. And when he saw him, the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, in the same way... A Levite, when he arrived at the place, saw the man and passed by on the other side. Now, now, the priests were the sons of Aaron and the Levites from Levi. Both of them, now get this, both of them were responsible for helping the people to worship God. That was their job. Okay? And you would expect them, and, and surely the crowd would go, uh-huh, that's right. The crowd would expected them to stop and help the guy. You can't help but you just can't. I, I don't want to be cutesy today, but you could very well say a pastor came by. Now, now I know. See, I got different standards than you do because y'all put them on me. You know, it's okay if you drink a beer, but if I drink a beer, I'm looking for a job. If you, it's okay if you smoke, but if I smoke, I'm looking for a job. It's okay if you see a dirty R-rated movie, but if I go see an R-rated movie, we're having a deacon's meeting. Am I right, bro? Uh-huh. Two different standards. 
We won't go there. I'm just telling you that's the way it is. That's the world we live in. And I don't smoke, drink, or go to R-rated movies, just so you'll know. But anyway, so you can easily say, this preacher came by, and you're just saying, now preacher, we expect you to be a compassionate man. So, so instead, though, for whatever reason, I go by and I see this guy laying there, and I kept saying, dude, and walk on. And if you were in my congregation, I tell the story, you'd go, what do you mean you didn't help him? Man, you're supposed to be the preacher, man. You're supposed to help people and stuff. What do you mean you didn't help him? And then, Don Billman comes along. And Don Billman's our chairman of Deacons. He's the Levite guy. You've got to draw this parallel. And you would expect Don, and I know Don, he probably would. But, but you know, Don would look at this guy and go, oh man, you know, but no, he, he just walked by too. And, and you just say, you know, that's not way. If you're a Jew, then you're going, wait a minute, the priest should have helped. Wait a minute, the Levite should have helped. Wait a minute, that's just not right. Why didn't they help? What in their life caused a limit? How did they go from knowing the word of God that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. How did they go from obeying that to disobeying it and having limits? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's like, I know you think it's selfish, but maybe the robbers were still around. I mean, they could have gotten too, Brent. Maybe it was just too risky. Maybe he said, dude, I, I got family to feed. And maybe, maybe it was hopeless. He looked at dude and didn't see the chest going up and down, maybe. He's breathing so shyly. Maybe he thought it was dad. And said, nah. I'm not going to put myself at risk for a dead guy. Most likely, defilement. Because if he happened to be dead, then he would be defiled ceremoniously from serving. And so he couldn't risk his religion and being defiled. See, you need to write this down. Relationship knows no limits. Religion sets limits. Religion, relationship with Jesus Christ, a rich Real relationship with Jesus Christ does not know partial obedience. It does not know limits. A relationship lived in partial obedience is no relationship at all, becomes religion and knows nothing but limits. This permeates the church in America today. We say we know and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, which should be limitless. That's why Jesus spent the last hours of his, of his life saying, Hey guys, love one another. By this the world will know you're my disciples. Because you love one another. The reason why we don't see a whole lot of this is because we said that. 
We'll help the ones that we think are worthy. We'll, we'll do certain... We'll forgive. We'll forgive a certain amount of times. We'll reach out to hurt a hurting person a certain number of times. We'll forgive a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter a certain amount of times. But then we justify ourselves. And then we say, the limit is reached. The problem is, that is extra biblical. It is not what the Word of God teaches. This, dear brothers and sisters, this teaches no limits. Not the cross. The man on the cross. The man on the cross. He did not go to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and sweat drops of blood and stop. He did not allow his beard to be plucked and a crown of thorn placed partially on his head and stop. He did not take the scourging that would have killed an ordinary man and stop. Jesus went all the way. Jesus knew no limits. And because of that, you are saved today. If he had stopped anywhere short, you would be lost and on your way to hell right now. But because you know a limitless Savior who is the son of a limitless God, you are saved today. You're saved today. Now listen. It's, you can almost feel the tension in the conversation. Because if you're there today, and, and Jesus sorry eliminated the priest, he's always eliminated the Levite, down at least the common Jew. And you already got to set in your mind, I'm fixing to be the hero of this story. So the preacher didn't do it, the deacons didn't do it, but here comes an ordinary church member. And Jesus throws them a curveball. Because he says, but a Samaritan. Some of y'all know, some of you don't. So let me just tell you a little bit about Samaritans. Samaritans have a mixed Jewish and Gentile, Gentile ancestry. They're not pure-blooded Jews. And because of that, the pure-blooded Jews look at him, them with pure disdain. They hate the Samaritans. I don't know if something comes to your mind. Perhaps it was your opinion of Muslims after 9-11... Perhaps it was your opinion of Jews, uh, excuse me, the Germans, okay, after the way they treated the Jews. Now, if you want to know how the Samaritan felt, the Samaritans felt, if you are here today and you are of Japanese ancestry, you know the disdain that the Samaritans felt. Because on December the 8th, you were locked up in internment camps here in America, the land of the free, because they so disdained your heritage. A Samaritan. The most unlikely candidate there is. A Samaritan came to him, a Jew. Now, wait a minute, time out. Do you think the Samaritans have wonderful feelings for the Jews? Absolutely not. They were tired of being the backyard dog. They were tired. And so they retaliated and said, You may hate us, but we hate you more. A Samaritan came by and sees him. And when he saw the man, 
He had compassion. Now let me tell you something that the Jews had and the Samaritans didn't have as bad. And that's this. Religion. See, remember I told you this is limitless and this is partial. I mean, this is unpartial. This is unlimited obedience. And then when you add religion, you put limits. The Jews were like so wrapped up in their religion, even though they told about the God of love, all they could see was the limits. The Samaritans had a religion, but it just wasn't like that. So I guess Samaritan may have said, I've got nothing to lose. I don't care about getting filed. I'm already in their eyes. I'm already nothing anyway. So I don't care about getting filed or not. So he saw him. He had compassion. He went over to him. And he bandaged up his wounds. Poured on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal. Brought him to an inn. And stayed and took care of him. The next day. He took out two denarii, which are two days' wage, okay, two days' wage, gave them to the innkeeper and said this. Now watch this. Go ahead and take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Is that not incredible? A guy, if this guy was not half dead, he would literally look at this man with pure disdain. In fact, probably if he could utter enough energy in his half-dead state, say, Don't touch me, you Samaritan! But Samaritan does it anyway. He, he just didn't have any limits. He takes the risk. He goes in, he, he takes care of him, he pours oil and wine, and he ministers to him that way. He walks while the man rides. He takes him and stays, stops his busy schedule, and stays with the guy. And then says to the innkeeper, here's a couple of days' wages, and if you spend more, I'll, I'll reimburse you. Do you see what's missing? I just told you. What's missing is limits. You don't see any limits in the Good Samaritan. Do you? It's incredible. I think that might be why Jesus went to great detail to give us everything in the story. The oil and the wine, the risk, the donkey, the inn, the extra money if you need it. Because you want to say, the good Samaritan knew no limits. What's missing? Limits. Who? Who is the good Samaritan? In this story, and, and really outside the story, in this setting, who is it in this setting that is looked upon by the priests and the Levites as an outcast? Who in this setting would cross racial barriers? in this setting would show unlimited love. Would you like me to tell you? It's Jesus. Jesus is the good Samaritan. 
Jesus is the one, even though he was an outcast, by the ones he came to die for. Knew no limits. Come on, children. Knew no limits. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who said, I'll care for you. Jesus is the one, even though he's saying, don't touch me, you Samaritan. Even though they laughed at him on the cross, he still said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He knew no limits. He's the one who would pour in the oil and the wine to help heal the wounds. Like your broken heart. Like your broken heart. He'll walk so you can ride. Have you figured it out yet? If you are going to heaven today, you're going on his ticket. You didn't buy the ticket. You can't pay the ticket. It's him, friend. It's him. So then our Savior winds the story up. Don't miss the ending. So, which of these three, the Levite, the priest, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be neighbor? And I like the way he twisted around. It went from who is my neighbor is who was neighborly. Not who was neighbor, who was neighborly. Who proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now notice the guy couldn't even say Samaritan. So he said in verse 37, the one who showed mercy on him, he said. The Jewish guy, the, the teacher of the law guy, couldn't bring himself to say Samaritan. He goes, but logic tells me the one who was neighborly was the guy who showed mercy. The guy who didn't know limits. The guy who didn't know Partial obedience to thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor's self. The guy who knew no limits, he's the one who was neighborly. Not the guy who was the pastor of the church. Not the guy who had his people hang on the walls and I'm a deacon. Incredible. So now, how is Jesus going to wind this up? Of course he said, well, there's your answer. Next question, please. Thank you for asking the question. That was very good. You did well. Great, great story. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Anybody else have a question now before we go home? Is that what he did? He said, okay. Now, you go. You go and you do likewise. You go, the fulfillment of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that fulfillment is found on the limitless side. Go and do that. Now you and I both know, and if you don't know, I'll tell you, the standard of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you think you're that good outside of Jesus, 
You are fooling yourself. In fact, you are deceiving yourself. In the church, out of the church, if you think you're so good that you keep this up on your own, you're flat wrong. This is only doable through Jesus Christ. So when Jesus said, go and do likewise, he said this. If you want to follow me, then follow me. Be like me. If you want to be a follower, now listen, listen church, you hear me Western Christians, including Dwayne Taylor. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to imitate Jesus Christ. It's mandated, not optional. There is no option for he hurt me. He ripped me off. She did this. Not for a follower of Jesus. I'm sorry, there is not a place where you go, well, he's crossed the line. You better be grateful for that. How far would you want God to go with you? How many times do you want God to forgive you? How many, listen, when you, when you rebel against God, how, how restorative do you want God to be for you? All the way, someone said. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad we serve a God with no limits. Because I'm going to just confess to you, and if I still have my, if I'm a job after church, that's fine. This pastor's not perfect. He sins frequently and often enough and harshly enough where I'm glad God doesn't have limits. If you're going to be an imitator or a follower of me, then you've got to be a person. You've got to be a person. You have to be a person who understands no limits. Full obedience. And the problem is, we've been taught in the church that there really is a unicorn. That there really is a jack-o'-lamp. There really is a bird dog that walks around with a bird body and a dog head. Just, we saw a picture, we believe it. Because watered-down preachers and watered-down people have bought the message that we can do as much as we want and somehow God smiles and goes, is that all right with me? But my Father says, your Father says, your Savior says, if any man comes after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and he must follow me. Your Savior said that. Do you see limits in that? Brent, do you see limits in that statement? Listen again to last week's scripture. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Dwell in my love. If you keep my commandments, you still dwell in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I dwell in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may, be, may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his Father. It's for itself for a friend. How incredible. How incredible. Religion has limits. Relationship with Jesus Christ does not. I've been asking you questions every week. So I'm going to ask you one today. Who's in your neighborhood? 
that you need to love, forgive, care for, provide for, in an unlimited way. Who in your neighborhood? That person may be 4,000 miles away. There's plans for a trip in February to go back to a people who are living in darkness. They live in the darkness of, of, of the African animistic religions, overshadowed by the Islamic religion. The animistic is hopeless, and the, and the Islamic religion is a work-scale value salvation, which is no salvation at all. It may be 4,000 miles away. It may be seven hours north, Judy, in a place called Chicago. Where people, well, you don't have to go to Chicago to see homeless people, but where people live on the streets. Where people are just hopelessly lost in drugs, alcohol, prostitution, sexual abuse. Maybe three blocks down from your house. Those same things exist everywhere. Can I bring it home? The person that you need to show no limits to, you're over here, they may be over there. If they're over there, they may be over here. They may be three rows in front of you or three rows in back of you or two chairs away or four chairs away. But whether it's 4,000 miles or eight hours or a couple of hours or three blocks down or two houses or four rows or two sections, the mandate of Jesus Christ is unlimited obedience. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and no limits. Love your neighbor as your and anything we place on this side of the scale throws it out of count. Let me just kind of throw this out. You know, I, I know as you're going, you know, Dwayne, that may have worked really well 2,100 years ago, but you really don't know our world. Come on. I hear what you're saying. I mean, you know what? Who said following Jesus was easy? Who said it was not risky? Who sold that lie to us? Who said that, that we could serve Jesus in our spare time with spare money? Who said that? Can you get a hint? It wasn't him. It wasn't him. The same guys who sold you the lie about Jesus being a fire escape sold you that one too. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the light of the world. He's a unlimited, full obedience Savior. So how do you do that? Five years ago, I'd have said, well, you just got to you know, trust God, you know, and ask God to enable you, and that's all true still. Here's what I'm learning. God expects me to do part of this. Philippians 4.13, I can do. There you go. But it starts with I can do. 
Agape love is a choice we make. Limitless living is a choice we make. Limitless obedience, full obedience is a choice we make. And God's there to, to undergird you and strengthen you and help you through the Holy Spirit. But the bottom line is, is me saying, okay, God, that one, she's not lovable. I know that woman and she's not lovable. I know she's your creation, but you might have had a bad day. <laughs> but I tell you what, God, I'm going to take a step. And if you go with me, I bet together we can love her. I bet God together we could, we could do other ministries, other churches, working together. You, you and us, God, we can change Harrisburg. We can win Harrisburg High School with Jesus Christ. Hey, God. You and you and us, a bunch of churches, you know, your people getting together. God, I, I think I think it's not too late for America. And I thank God. Because all things are possible through you. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Hey God, we can see untold millions. One to your kingdom around this world. I can't do it by myself. But God, I'll take this. I think probably you're going to love my offertory or my invitational prayer. Now, I wish I could tell you, and, and time is way gone. I wish I could tell you how this bothers me to preach this. Because I know me. I don't know how much a limit setter I am. I don't know how to tell you. I wish I could tell you I arrived and this just not happened. So tomorrow morning I'm going to be in my green room talking to my God and your God. I'm going to say, hey, Father, it's Dwayne. Would you help me take that first step? Because I feel pretty overwhelmed. I feel pretty insecure these days. God, this person's just really hard to love right now. So I'm with you. I'm going to pray a prayer for us that this one we're not going to forget. Tomorrow when you get up, you're going to remember this story and this scale. And I go Donnie Billman prays for his brother about salvation. He says, God, just bother him. Just bother him, God. I think I'm going to pray, hey, God, bother us. Shake us up. Don't let us forget it, God. Just bother us. Put a, put a rock in our shoe. God, bother us. Move us to what you call the church, your people to be. Unlimited. No limits. Full obedience. Would you join me in prayer, please? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to give you just a minute. I want to tell you this. If you're here today and uh, you've never like had a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not about church. It's not about religion. It's not about getting dumped in some water. It's not about rule keeping. It's about relationship with Jesus Christ, who 2,100 years ago, they, well, he died on the cross. He gave his life up on the cross. I was going to say they killed him, but they couldn't kill him. He gave his life up. 
And he did that because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. He died for the sins of every person, including yours. The rest of that verse goes, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. He died that we could live. And what we could not attain on our own, he offers today to you as a free gift. But he's not a fire escape. When he told Matthew, the tax collector, follow me, Matthew left everything behind and followed him. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, and you want something to live for and something to die for, if you want a relationship with this God I've talked about, if you want a place in heaven and not a place in hell, we're going to be standing out front. Take right by the hand and say, okay, I want to know this Jesus. How can I make that happen? How can that happen today? I'd show you what God's Word says If you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you a question again. Who in your neighborhood do you take away the limits from? What part of God's Word are you partially obeying that you need to take the limits from? And when you take the first step, say, okay, God, I'll take the first step, but I need you.